0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, recently, our running editor, Matt Mitchell, sat down with Solomon athlete Logan Williams to ask about Logan's recent top 10 finish at the Black Canyon 100K. And this top 10 finish happened after Logan ruptured his Achilles last year at the Black Canyon 100, so Logan talks about what returning to the scene of the crime meant for him, he talks about his relationship with injury, and how he's currently recovering from racing 62 miles through the desert. The two also talk about Logan's thoughts on running as an art form, and a whole lot more. And so, let's just go ahead and get to it. Logan, what's going on?
1: Nothing much, dude. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? You ran, uh, you ran pretty far this weekend, eh?
2: I did. Yeah, I'm feeling good. Um, still a little sore. Muscle so- soreness is kind of going away, but the body's still definitely fatigued, um, to say the least.
1: Yeah, for our audience, talking to Logan Williams, who uh, just came in ninth place at the 2022 Black Canyon's Hundred K this past Saturday. So you're three days removed. Three days, yep. I feel like we should just get into the race. Like, how'd it go, man? Um, it went super well.
2: Um, I mean, like going into this, I had lofty goals. I mean, as did everyone um, who goes into into these golden ticket races but it's also like that is the beauty of these golden ticket races is that because everyone has lofty goals, it brings in such a deep and talented field. And I think black Canyon was probably the deepest field that any of these ticket races have seen for quite some time. Um, We had people from Canada, Europe, and then a lot of us um, athletes just in top form down there, um, all competing for, for the same thing. And like it was so hard not to keep checking the start list every day leading into the race because it felt like every day somebody's name popped up and I was like, Oh shit. Like, here's another guy, here's another one, here's another one. Um, and so it just became this incredibly deep and, uh, talented field with a lot of runners who I look up to and admire within the sport, all competing for, for the ticket. Um, and then, Uh, I, I looked at the weather actually the day that I landed in Phoenix, which was the night before the race and saw that it was, um, going to be in the high eighties, um, the entire day. And so that also kind of, man, yeah, kind of shifted the, uh, the plans and like the mindset for, for the race, um, last year. I took a stab at black Canyon and ended up tearing my Achilles at the 50 K mark, and had to walk it out at 38. Um, and and so for me that kind of kickstarted a whole year of, um, rehab, other health issues that popped up a move studying for the bar and just like a lot of deep, um, uncertainties within my life. And so to be able to step back onto the start line this year, represented just so much to me on a a personal level um let alone an athletic level um and so like my only goal was to go out there run as hard as I could run as smart as I can and just see where everything kind of fell into place
1: yeah let's put a pin in uh the bar stuff because I am interested in (laughs) in what you do outside of running but tell me a little bit more about what the experience of running the race this year, a year removed from this like rather like traumatic injury there, uh, what that meant for you like as you were racing. Did you think about it at all or was it kind of just like you kind of blacked out for what like <laughs> nine hours or so? Um,
2: it, it was interesting. Like there was a point where um, leading into the aid station on mile 31, like I vividly remember the exact place where I felt the tear. Um, and where I felt the injury and running past that this year um, was the most empowering experience. I, it was just so profound that I can't really put it into words. Like it sent a shiver down my spine, just being in a state where I was moving, feeling strong, I was keeping fluids down, I had my salt dialed, I had my nutrition dialed. And then all of a sudden, I just I passed that point that I fixated on as being the, the beginning of this injury and like the cause of this injury and just thought to myself, this is it. Like, this is the day. Um, it's all forward from here. And like, no matter what happens, this is already a win in my book.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, man, that let's, let's get a little bit more into the injury and what that recovery was like, just because I know that like for most runners injury is something that if you run enough and even if you're a consider yourself a low mileage, runner you're going to run into at some point. And I think talking about other people's experiences and being like open about that is like something that I, I value. Um, every time I'm injured, I, <laughs> I hop on online message boards and try and find someone that has had a similar experience to me. And that's not always the best solution, but I think it's valuable. And yeah, I'd love to hear how you process that mentally, because I do think that like injuries are such a mental beast, man, especially in our sport.
2: Yeah. And I I agree with you wholeheartedly in the fact that there's such an important part in being able to talk about injuries. I know that we typically as like, since we do a more, uh, I guess you could say our sport is very solitary by nature. And so like, we're very intrinsically focused and motivated. And so that kind of begets a lack of sharing, especially when it comes to injury. And so I I know that a lot of people when they get injured just kind of disappear and then all of a sudden they reappear and then they don't really discuss what happened other than like, Oh, I was injured. And now I'm back. As compared to the actual um, struggle with the injury. Um, And I know like during my injury, I tried to be as vocal about it as I could just to kind of like peel back that, that layer or that veil that kind of separates um, the healthy athletes from the injured athletes. Because I think everyone has, like you said, suffered an injury and, has always kind of questioned whether or not the return to sport is possible or like what that recovery process is going to look like. And if you can return to sport at the capacity that you were performing at prior to the injury. And to me, like my injury, um, I I was misdiagnosed by a few, few different doctors saying that I had tendon like tendinosis within the Achilles because it wasn't a, a tear across the tendon. It was a tear up and down the tendon. Um, so, one of the doctors that I, who the doctor who eventually diagnosed me is based out of Flagstaff, just an incredible human. And he diagnosed me about a month after Black Canyon, which I'd been struggling with daily pain. Doctors were telling me to keep running, doing these exercises and like, and nothing got better. It just kept getting worse, kept getting worse, kept getting worse. I ended up running a 50K on it a month after Black Canyon. And I remember at like mile 26, it felt like all of a sudden, like nothing was firing um, in my left leg or my left foot. And that's when I knew something. I'm like, this is not just tendon. This is not tendinosis. Like, something's truly wrong. Like, I'm living in daily pain. I can't even walk. Like, I, we need to address this from a specialist. And I went in and he was like, yeah, we did like a few basic exercises. And the doc said, yep, it's it's a tear. Um, thankfully, it's not a tear across. It's a tear up and down the tendon. If it had been a tear across, like, you definitely wouldn't need surgery. He's like, but the blessing and the curse was that since you kept running on it, everything around it strengthened up in a way that it couldn't have like really predicted or planned, but it also caused the tear to go a lot higher than it should have. So an MRI showed that it was about 10 millimeters high and two millimeters wide, which is like not, it doesn't sound very big, but when you're thinking about just how small the actual tendon is, like that's a good chunk of the tendon that's just kind of torn. And like now he described it as like somebody took a razor and cut a hole in like in the tendon going up and down. <laughs> right and so you're kind of stuck with this this thought about like okay well surgery he said was off the table because i was able to run so he's like we just now need to have this thing heal and if i got surgery it would require snipping the tendon and then re reattaching it which he said could be good but could also have me performing at 85 percent where Rehab and daily preventative exercises could have had me at 90%. So while I wouldn't be returning to the pre-injury 100%, I could still return at a higher percentage than if I had needed surgery. And so I decided to do that. And that essentially looked like five months of exercising, icing, Advil, no running, mountain biking, countless hours on the elliptical and in like different boots to get the blood flowing because that that's kind of what the recovery came down to was making sure that i was forcing blood and nutrients into the tendon to help stimulate healing and it it took forever i mean if it didn't take forever it felt like it took forever
1: I, I just know how little like blood flow there is down there yeah and just things in your feet and lower legs like take forever to get better man
2: yeah and it, at that point, too, it's like I was, I was questioning so much in my life, um, just like from the athletic perspective about like whether or not I was going to be able to return, whether or not I was even going to have the rest of the season. And of course, like as athletes and runners, w- at whatever level, we all associate our identity in some form or some um, percentage to the activity that we do. And so to have like a major cornerstone of what I had associated my identity with for years leading up to this, just suddenly ripped out from under me, kind of left me feeling like I feeling very unsure of myself. Like there was now this huge void in my life and the void was a lack of being able to have like a concrete identity in which I could like hang my hat. And I think that to me was one of the greatest takeaways from this injury was kind of like the, the dealing and acknowledging where identity stems from um, outside of sport.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is where I wanted this conversation to go. I have gone through something similar in the past year with my own handful of injuries, but I'm curious, what were your takeaways from that? Like, what did you tie your identity to when you weren't running? Because that's the thing with like, with calling yourself a runner. Like it's, it's tough to justify calling yourself a runner if you're not running, you know, it's very contingent on on like physical movement. How did you replace that void?
2: So the, that's so true. Cause we associate so much of our identity with the ability to move um, and in movement within a, spec- a very specified form. And so for me, that struggle kind of became like I started looking at different forms of movement, whether that was swimming, whether that was biking. At the same time, like during the peak of this injury, I was finishing up law school and studying for the bar. And so I had all of these other different things going on in my life. And I had to really take a step back and understand what about running seemed to transcend all of these other things, but what also connected all of these other facets of my life. Because while I understood that one activity had become such a strong association to identity, What connected all of them is actually what comprised my identity Um, because in all of these different facets of my life, I was me. I was not the runner Um, and something, some string or strings were connecting all of them. And I had just never taken the time to try to like trace that string through everything and back to myself to see where that came from.
1: Running was essentially an expression of you just coming across like through this physical outlet. Yes, it was kind of cr- more more of a creative process than like a sport. Very much so.
2: Yeah. No, it was definitely, and I've always viewed running as uh, an artistic medium. Um, I've always found beauty in the form of movement um, in any sort of capacity with, any, with the human body. I think the human body is just such an incredible and complex machine. And the fact that like we can do so much with it, whether that's skiing, cycling, running, lifting, um, any sort of like activity that involves the brain, writing, like any sort of creative process um, is something that I find truly beautiful because it is an expression of self. And I just found that my ability to express myself came through running. And that to me was, was huge because then it allowed me to kind of like take a step back and realize like I'm not just a runner. Like I can express myself in other facets of my life within the same way. And the way that I approached running is the way that I can approach anything in my life Um, I think during the injury, um, I was told by a close friend of mine that identity can be kind of summed up in this like little phrase of the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And so realizing that I could take everything that I did with running, um, dedication, the morning routine, the hard work, tenacity, like this kind of like playfulness I had with it, and I could translate that to every other part of my life. So where it's like, okay, I wasn't just a runner, but I was... I was me, like the individual. Like I was, I was Logan and the way that I approached running is the way that I could begin to approach everything else within my life while also accepting the fact that running wasn't the cornerstone of this identity as I once thought that it was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think that's, that's really valuable because that energy has to go somewhere. Right. And if you're not running, it needs a different different medium to pour to be poured into. So I'm curious what what that looked like on a practical level for you, on like a day to day basis. Aside from like all the PT and all that stuff, did you discover anything new that you weren't into before the injury? Um, so
2: <laughs> yes and no. Uh, like I, this injury came, like I said, when I when I was studying for the bar, and so and like finishing up law school, so I had a very like tangible outlet for all of this, which I think was a, a blessing in disguise because I was able to give myself in, into those activities a little more than I might have if I had still had running. But I also found out that like, I, I love to to journal and to write every day. I started rereading all of the classics um, in English literature where I found like old AP history or AP um, English books. And like book list that I had um, and just started buying and rereading those. And so I became reconnected with just like taking walks through nature and just kind of like sitting down in fields and like journaling about like my thoughts and my experiences. Like I began to see that, like the reason I ran was to more commune with nature and express myself. And I could still do that in ways that maybe I hadn't appreciated prior to this. Um, Like actually slowing down and seeing what nature had to offer as compared to feeling like I was, moving through or forcing movement through the landscape. I I was moving more with the landscape. Um, So those were like kind of the, the outlets that I kind of like gravitated towards.
1: There's always that, that argument that's lobbied at at ultra runners that, you know, we we're moving too fast through the landscape when we run and that we aren't able to appreciate it. And if you, you slowed down and walked, you would observe a lot more. And I don't know if I, where I land on that. Cause I, I see both sides of it. Do you have an opinion? Um,
2: I think you just experience them in two different ways. And I think it comes down to just like being open to the fact that when you pursue one experience over the other, you're innately cutting off the ability to perceive the other side of that experience. But it it does kind of like, it's just two totally different experiences. And like, one's not right, one's not wrong. Um, It just comes down to like how and what you value and how you want that to be experienced when you're outside and like when you're doing your activity. And so it comes down to more just like an awareness of the self and like what your desires are on an individual level um, for the activity or for how you want to experience the world around you.
1: Yeah, I buy into that. I, I think you nailed that. So we. Didn't address it as the start, but you are up in Truckee right now, and that's where you've been doing most of your training? Yep, Truckee and then also
2: um, Reno and Auburn. Auburn for heat training, Um, been getting a lot on the Way Too Cool in the Western States courses. I knew that for Black Canyon, my my downfall was going to be the heat if it was my downfall, Um, just because Truckee's been we're leading up to black Canyon Truckee. had been consistently in the single digits to low teens when I was running in the mornings. And so there was, was really no way to prep for an 85, 87 degree day. So Auburn in the thirties and fifties was as close as I could get as well as the sauna sessions in Truckee. And then Reno, since I worked down there some days um, it made a lot of sense to, and the trails are dry now since we haven't had much snow and I'd run with um my buddies, Darren Thomas and Tom Sullivan. And like, we had a good little training group going. We still do. We'd have a good little training group going. Um, and so like, those were like the three primary places I like focused on training for the black Canyon build.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. And yeah, I mean, Saturday black Canyon, it was, it was a scorcher towards the end of the day. I think, uh, luckily since you're in the elite field, you got to start, start at the crack of dawn and it was a little colder, but I'm always like amazed with the, the, temperature swings at that race because it goes from what in the 30s at the start to yeah. the 80s by the finish. And being trained in in both kind of extremes is is gotta be a shock to the system.
2: Yeah, I mean like I was kind of like I was unfortunate enough where I like I stepped off the plane and immediately start sweating. And like the morning of the race I was walking from the car to the start line already sweating because it's the warmest I've been for a long time. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. Like I'm sweating at 42 degrees. And so I'm like, this just means I have to be like really conservative out of the gate if I want this day to even like finish. Um,
1: yeah, I, I'm one of my friends who coaches uh, a few athletes that, that ran that race has been telling every single one that lined up not to PR their 50K because that course <laughs> yeah. is deceptive. Because on paper, it looks like it's just kind of flat. You know, you're running through the desert. But I think when, when you actually get on it, there's quite a bit more climbing and, and undulation than, than people expect. Did you find that?
2: Yeah. I mean, I remember last year just being kind of going into it again with like a sense of like false confidence because of the elevation profile. Um, and that, that really bit me in the butt last year. Um, and this year, knowing a little bit more of what to expect allowed me to kind of like pace it the way that I wanted to not only is the course deceptively hard because you have some major climbs right at the end in the last 40k um, but you're also running on like fairly technical terrain like it's very unforgiving like large rocks um, like baby head loose rocks uh, uneven terrain sometimes sandbars um, and there's no there's no shade so like everything seems like, want you to think that it's a fast course, but then it it kind of chews you up and spits you out at the end because it's just, you have uneven terrain, it's hot. Um, there's a lot of loose grounds. It's actually like fairly technical running in some places, especially towards the end. And so the back half requires so much more energy than that front half. Um, and by, by the time you hit it, you've already ran 50 K and it's the heat of the day now.
1: Oh, yeah. horrible yeah i was uh i was watching on the the live broadcast which is like phenomenal uh there was just a bunch of drones kind of hovering or hovering around covering the lead pack and uh one thing i noticed was just like the reflections that were bouncing off of the runners i think that sun was was that at its apex, just hammering down the entire day? Did you run into any like fueling issues, or you do you have that pretty dialed? Um,
2: I was really fortunate this year to have like really emphasized and practiced fueling. Um, I usually always deal with fueling issues. Um, I like thankfully had Sonoma, um, the Broken Arrow Triple Crown, and then Woodside as three races leading into Black Canyon that kind of helped me really dial nutrition um, and. It, so like, thankfully, during the, the day of Black Canyon, like my only goal was to make sure that I was consuming more water and more calories than I thought I would need to. Um, I typically hover around one hundred and fifty to two hundred calories an hour, and during Black Canyon, I was I was I was trying to I ate about two hundred and fifty to three hundred and twenty an hour um, with extra water. And thankfully, like my stomach was able to handle that. Like I didn't deviate from like uh, what I usually consume during these races, which is Martin like the 320 Martin mix and then the knock protein bars, like the cricket protein bars from up in Canada and like varying between the two and then having like a little flask of water with my salt pills helped. Like it seemed to have everything like perfectly done. Like I had no stomach issues, um, at all during the race, which I was very happy about.
1: Yeah. I think that is, that's ultimately what gets people. It's like, you can be as, as as Olympian, but if you can't consume, calories over a race that will take you 10 plus hours, you might might as well just, you know, watch. <laughs> yeah. uh, but let's circle back to something you just mentioned uh, about last year. So, you got healthy last year and you had some kind of late season races um, towards the end of summer. What was that like? Was it tough to kind of learn how to trust your body again after- after the injury last year,
2: yeah, no, it was it was incredibly nerve wracking to to take to step up to these start lines because um, not only did I feel like I had to prove myself to me that I was that I was back and that I was healthy and able to race these distances, but I, I was also nervous in, on whether or not I had actually fully recovered from the injury and whether or not this was going to rear its head um, time and time again during these during these events and. Like it was it was nerve wracking because my first race was Sonoma, um, the 50 miler in late September after about a month and a half of like actual training. And my biggest fear was that I was going to have to pull because it hurt at any point in the race. And that was kind of the, the agreement I'd made to myself was that if, it, if the Achilles began to hurt at any point during these races, I would drop like I wasn't going to have a repeat of last year. And that's kind of a really bitter pill to swallow because it, it puts you in this crux of Um, it gives you an easy out when things start getting tough, but then the crux is whether or not to know that that's just you trying to find an excuse or if there's an injury coming or if it's the injury rearing its head. And so like, to me that, that took a lot of, it was just, yeah, it, it took a lot of patience and grace to even think about starting those races with the possibility of knowing that like, well. These might not be the competitive days I want, but like it could also lead to DNF if I feel like an injury is, is going to recur.
1: Yeah, that's that's interesting too because I think pain is part of the sport and inevitably when you're running these long distances, you're going to subject yourself to pain, but it's about knowing your body well enough to differentiate between like good pain and bad pain, which is <laughs> kind of interesting, I think, uh, and something that is not unique to the sport, but definitely like featured heavily. And I am still trying to figure it out, but I think it comes down to like knowing your body and not punishing yourself unnecessarily, but like punishing yourself enough to, to accomplish a goal.
2: Yeah. Uh, And I also think too, like this is a sport that, that is constantly kind of like chiseled away by just like trial and error. And it's a sport that rewards maturation within athletics, which just means it rewards consistency in its own right. And I think being able to, to race and having more races under the belt, you're able to have that body awareness that you're talking about where it's like, okay, you know, you're hitting a point where it hurts, but it's not an injury hurt. It's the hurt of, oh, I've been running 40 miles consistently. Like this isn't what the body's meant to do. And then being able to kind of like push through that. Cause I know, I think, I think all athletes can attest to this, um, at any other levels during these races that you always hit a point where quitting sounds nice and you have to talk yourself off the ledge of quitting. Um, and like, I know that happened for me, even this year at black Canyon between like 40 and 42, like those miles, it was just the heat of the day. This big burly climb. I was doing that, like that little, like tiny, like jog shuffle up a Hill, just feeling like I was barely moving. It was hot. My whole body hurt. I'm like, this isn't like, I had a moment where I was like, this isn't worth it. And for two miles, which felt like an eternity, I was having this internal dialogue with myself. I was essentially doing what you were describing, like differentiating between the good pain and the bad pain and realizing like, oh no, like I signed up for this. Like we, we knew this was going to hurt and the race doesn't really start until you hit that point um, and decide whether or not to let that point completely consume you or to push through that and find that second wind that we often hear about.
1: Do you think that that is something that's, that gets easier the more you race? Because I I was doing some uh, preliminary ultra sign-up stocking on you. And uh, you have an extensive racing resume for someone that is, what, you're 27? Yeah. And you've only been in the sport for four years. And then you've been running professionally for Solomon for, for two, right? Yeah. Do you think that you're better able to like talk yourself through um, these low moments now than when you are say like 23? Oh, 100%. And I I think it comes to the
2: fact like the moments don't hurt any less. I mean, in fact, I think they hurt more just because of the intensity has changed. Um, And so I think, uh, I think it was like Greg Lamond, a famous cyclist said that it doesn't get, things don't ever get easier. You just get faster. And (laughs) Because of that, the intensity at which you do it it causes a different sort of pain. Like the pain changes, but it's still painful. Um, And then I think sometimes like when you're performing it and like when you're doing it at such a high intensity for so long, it could hurt worse. Because there's a lot of variables now that are on such a fine line um, and like any sort of fluctuation Um, from the, on those variables can send your body and your mind into like just utter turmoil. Um, so there's less of a margin for error. I think is what I'm trying to to get at with that. And I think it's just recognizing like from those, all of those races, it's recognizing that moment and knowing that that moment will pass because when you're first starting to race, you hit those moments and you have no idea what's coming up. Like, you have no idea if it's going to pass. Like, it just hurts, and that's all you can think about. But the more races you do, the better you can understand and recognize that moment. Like, okay, like, yes, this hurts. This might hurt worse than it has in the past, or it might hurt less. But I know that, like, this moment will last 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, two hours. And in in races that are going eight to 12 to 20 hours, like, that's not a whole lot of time in the grand scheme of things.
1: That's interesting because I think you can also apply that same mindset to injury itself. You mm-hmm. know, if let's say you have a stress fracture, you can kind of say, I will be running again. It will just take time. Right. Like the only thing separating me from running is an amount of time that needs to pass for my body to heal. Hmm. And I think like working through a race in that, with that same mentality, um, I know it's helped me. Uh, but it's, for me, I like I cannot for the life of me get better at talk, <laughs> talking myself out of something. Uh, so maybe I just need a race more. Uh, but uh, I think speaking of races, I I, I do want to correct you. Uh, last year, you didn't do the broken arrow triple crown. You did the quadruple crown. <laughs> do you want to go into that a little bit more? Uh, maybe talk a little about what uh, the broken arrow weekend is like. Sure.
2: Um. So the broken arrow is a local race held at Palisades up here in, in, in Tahoe, in the Tahoe Truckee Basin, it's, it's gained a lot of notoriety and rightfully so is like being one of the premier skyrunning events, um, in the country and the world, as well as being what's now a golden trail national series race for Solomon, um, for the 26 K and it's three days of racing. Friday is the vertical K Saturday is the 52 K and Sunday is the 26 K and the 11 K. And then there's also a kid's race, I think sometimes thrown in there. So it's kind of familiar. If you're, if anyone who's listening is familiar with the rut up in Montana, it's a very similar style of racing. Um, and it's about five, it's a looped course. Um, and each loop, which is 26 K, contains about 5,000 feet of climbing and descent, um, on technical train, uh, Jeep road, like maintenance roads for the ski resort. And then, um, and it's just beautiful. It's also always really hot because it's either held in June or this year was in October. Um, and it's always been like, it was one of my, it was the first 50 K I think I ever ran and it went terribly my first year running it. Um, it was just a lot of learning experience. Like I felt great in the first lap, didn't drink enough water, didn't consume enough calories and then just blew up on the second lap. Um, and so that was a, a learning race for me. And this year I I was coming off the injury Um, since it's a Solomon race. Like I I decided to like join my team um, up there and we had a, we had an incredible showing of athletes and I kind of just wanted to treat the weekend like a celebration. So I signed up for the triple crown, which is doing all three days of racing. Um, So that's the VK, the 52 and then the 26 K the night before the 26 K we had a, we had a Solomon pizza party kind of, Um, at the village. And I was talking to Jeff Stern and Courtney DeWalter, and they were both like, oh, no one's ever done all four races. You should do all four races. And I was like, oh, that could be kind of cool. They're like, yeah, but you have to finish under a certain time for the 26K to even start the 11K with people. I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of fun. And they're like, yeah. And Courtney was kind of like, yeah, and you should have a beer between. So that there's this picture of me that's kind of like, getting around there now of me shotgunning a beer in my, in my, in the broken arrow race. And that was at <laughs> 9.00 AM because I'd finished in the proper time and promised them that if I finished in the proper time, I was going to do the 11 k shotgun a beer before doing that. So I did that. And then I was lucky enough to have, um, Max King, Kieran and Jeff Stern join me for the 11 K all after we had run the 26 K and we all had no food, no water. And just, it was a death march back in. Like that 11K took forever, <laughs> but we got it done, and it was the first time that anyone's done all four of the races in a weekend.
1: Yeah, and the 11K, to be clear, is a kids race. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the kids race.
2: There's a separate kids race. Okay, it's race. not okay. <laughs> yeah, there's okay, a separate okay. kids race. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. Oh man. Well, that's a that's a huge weekend. Like I'm just trying to to do the mental math, but that's gotta be like close to what like 20k avert and it's you know how many miles like 60 miles something like that
2: it was about 50 well, miles with over 10k avert
1: that's <laughs> that's <laughs> nuts oh man well I'm sure that uh, <laughs> that'll become a thing now so you gotta gotta uh, slap your name on that
2: oh man I hope not. I think, I think the first one is good and then anyone else can just go for that fast 11 K time and beat me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, so I guess we've run together a handful of times and something I've never really asked you is how you got into the sport. Um, I kind of think that ultra running like tends to find people instead of the other way around. Um, so I'm curious, just (laughs) your, your origin story, I should say.
2: Uh, I, I like that your thought on that. Cause I, I tend to agree with you that I think like this sport isn't something you just kind of like stumble into. Um, my origin story is that I was a collegiate soccer player and rugby player um, my first two years in college. And then my third year, I lived abroad um, in Shanghai for an extended period of time. And while I was over there, I came to understand that I had taken for granted our access to open spaces within um america and in particular our ability as people to freely explore those spaces without questions or limitations and coming to see our natural resources and the natural beauty of our country is like one of the greatest gifts that we have um and so i kind of told myself while i was living in shanghai this like concrete jungle and continuous days of just months on end of not seeing the sun because of the smog like i was going to soak in and like milk every instance of being outside that I could, especially because I had moved from uh, the Lake Tahoe Basin to uh, Denver, Colorado for my undergrad degree because I wanted to be close to the outdoors. Um, and I realized that my first two years in college, I had hardly spent any time in the Rockies. Um, and it was just like, I'm like, what, what? I was kind of like thinking to myself in China one day, like, what the, what the hell was I thinking? Like I di- I moved here and I haven't done anything. Um, and so while I was in China, I like reached out and like took on a project of uh, my grandfather had Alzheimer's at the time. And I partnered with a few local um, companies within Denver. And in an effort to raise money for Alzheimer's research, I said that I was going to do all of the 14ers, which are the 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado. And there's 58 of them in a calendar year. Um, while I was going to undergrad and working, um, to raise money for Alzheimer's. And so like that started off, it was great. Um, and then the summer came and that's kind of like the 14 er season. I had done most of the front range in the winter. Um, and then in the summer I was working two jobs and trying to finish up my undergrad degree while also having this like very finite window to pursue these peaks. Um, and so I realized the only way I could do that was by moving faster. And the only way you can do that is by running, um, And I found out that I just loved running in the, in the mountains. Um, And the second I like the first time I finished running down one of the the mountains, I'm like, I I can never do this. I can never hike down these again. Like, (laughs) and it just became this, this like uh, these beautiful moments I looked forward to every weekend of just running the 14 ers And it became less about the goal of achieving all of these different peaks that I had left and more about just experiencing the different ranges and mountains running it and seeing like that challenge that it added. And after that, I, am like through that, I met a bunch of people who were training for Leadville um, who thought I was training for Leadville. And then I found out I wasn't, they, they kind of like took me in under the wing. And one of them actually signed me up for the silver rush 50 miler. Um, And so I went from a no background of running to my first true trail race being a 50 miler in Leadville And it went terribly as, as it should. Um, I started the race, just guns blazing. It's an out and back course. And I got to 25 in like three and a half hours. And it took me almost eight and a half hours to go back the 25 miles. I came and, (laughs) and I like, but I, I finished that race and I, I knew that this is something that I wanted to do. Um, and haven't looked back since.
1: Yeah. Oh man. I, I think it goes two ways for, for most folks. It's like, I'm never doing this again. Or like, this is all I want to do. Yeah. Um, that's cool. Cause I, I also come from a non-traditional background. I guess I got into ultra running through, through hiking, which is a different story. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm curious, do you think that gives you any advantages when you like toe the line with guys that have like, like for instance, on, on Saturday, there was a, a guy who had a 210 marathon PR and spent like has spent, you know, his entire life running in a very like regimented fashion. Do you think that like not having that background, like not running in high school or college gives you an edge or is it, is it more of something that you need to overcome? I don't know.
2: I mean, I think it, it's, it is a double-edged sword. I mean, the, the long-term physiological adaptions, you can't really argue, um, you lack from coming from a non-traditional background, but I grew up playing soccer and like I was always running in some capacity. So I don't feel like I was hindered too badly for not having that non-traditional background. Um, I think one of the, the good things is, and I've talked to a lot of my friends who have ran in college or are running in college is that people who find it later in life as such as like we did, um, tend to have a, it becomes more of a passion. It becomes, something that is sustainable long-term. Whereas a lot of my friends who have ran in college say that as soon as they finish college, they never want to run again, or they don't want to run again for years after they, they graduated from college. And so I think it's like having this like, running is still this like awe-inspiring um, activity that we're still trying to figure out as non-traditional athletes. And because of that, like we still can find so much joy in just like the simplest and like the smallest sorts of improvements. Um, and within the act itself, it, like it hasn't become, we haven't become desensitized to it um, as some potential like traditional background people might have from running for already 14, 16 years of their entire life. Um, and so I think that kind of, that could be in itself a good a good thing, but I don't necessarily see it as a good or bad. Um, like. The longer the distance is, the greater the equalization, I feel like comes out between skill. like it becomes less of a physical game and more of a mental game. And I think like non-traditional background, like we have different mental, um, tools to, to draw from. And so like, it might not be better, but it's definitely not worse. It's just like, it's a different tool set that we have, um, to utilize during these races.
1: Yeah. I'd agree with that. I also think that what is intrinsic to trail running is like variety. Mm-hmm. And I think that keeps it fresh. You're not just lining up and running another, you know, 5K on the track. The differences in races on offer across the world are so insane to me that I think it, it's a really good sign for the sport, and I think it keeps people um, participating for a lot longer, which is a great way to transition <laughs> into the rest of your year. Okay, uh, what do you have on the on the docket?
2: So the rest of the year is shaping up right now um it looks like i'm going to be doing the lake sonoma 50 miler out in april um after running it last september i definitely have some personal goals that i want to go back to um and now that i know the course um and like skip who's no longer the race director but was during that the year that i ran it last year like he he has created something so special with that race um and i could easily see it being a race that i that i keep coming back to Um, and it's freaking hard. Like that race is brutal. I think last September when we ran it, we had degree, like we had a high of a hundred. Um, and so like, I've, I've just been really unlucky with hitting the hottest days for some races, it seems like, but like that was such a fun and beautiful race And the community out there was just so strong, just like at, um, black Canyon and skip being at the finish line, giving everybody a hug, just like Brendan gives hugs at the end of every broken arrow race. Like, that's just something that like, I definitely appreciate and value within our community. Um, like here are the race directors just standing there all day, waiting for every one of the people to finish. Um, so I have Lake Sonoma coming up in April, um, after Lake Sonoma, my focus then kind of shifts from longer distances into some shorter distances. Um, I'll be doing the broken arrow VK and 26 K in June, I'm kicking off the beginning of the golden trail national series. Push in July, I'll be doing the Quebec, the Quebec mega trail 50 K. In September, um, I'll be doing the Whistler Alpine Meadows 50 K as well. Um, both of those are also golden trail national series races for Solomon. Um, and then six days after doing the Whistler Alpine Meadows 50 K, I'll be stepping up to the start line of run rabbit run in the Hares division. Um, (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) So that, that'll be kind of an interesting, um experiment for me uh i've done back-to-back 100 milers before but that was two weeks apart and so i'm not i
1: want to talk about this okay because i as i said i was on your ultra sign up and i saw you did in 2019 you ran i think it was wasatch first yeah and then you came in eighth place and then i think two weeks later you lined up for the bear yeah and you finished top 10 again
2: i fifth fifth that year, yeah. not
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not, not a recommendation, uh, to do that, but like, what was your thought process behind that?
2: So with the, <laughs> so with the Wasatch, um, that year I had, I I'd signed up and had DNF two hundreds prior to that, the, um, Bryce Canyon hundred and the Tahoe Rim Trail 100. Um, Bryce Canyon, I rolled my ankle early on and just like had to pull at the 50 K mark in Tahoe. I went out way too hard. And got heat exhaustion and just I like, couldn't keep food down, so I had to pull at the fifty mile mark. Um, and so, got into the Wasatch Lottery. I was living in Salt Lake, so like there was a lot of like personal attachment to these ra- this race. Like I I was running the mountains. I would come to call this place home. And the community in Salt Lake is incredible when they show up for races. Whether that's Rufa, whether that's Bear, whether that's any like whether that's the Wasatch, like it is just always astounding to see the amount of local runners who are there crewing running the aid stations and just out on the course, supporting everyone. And so like, I wanted that to be a good day, but I had ITBS leading into that race. This, like, I just could not get rid of it. I think that is also the year I ran 11 ultras and the rim to rim to rim. So like my body was just absolutely trashed. um, By the time I was able to even think about doing these races. Um, And so I started the Wasatch and I think like mile three, my, my IT band just flared up. And it became just like a day of attrition where it was just like running when I could run. And then when it hurt too bad, I was just walking, but I finished that race and just loved that distance. Like I knew that there was so much there that I had get to experience and like what that I wanted to do to myself. Um, and I knew that there was another hundred two weeks later, also in Utah called the bear 100. And so I reached out to the race director and was able to get in as a last minute entry. Um, and I did the bear with no pacers, no crew. Like I just showed up to the start line. Like I signed up, I think like the week after the, the Wasatch, I did a 50 K pacing duty for my friend who was doing the Tahoe 200. And then the next weekend I did a 50 K training run on accident with a new group of guys that I had met because we took a wrong turn. And then the day after that 50 K run, I'm like, okay, I feel decent enough. Let's see how this next hundred goes. So then I signed up for the bear four days before the start. Um, And then showed up with like a bunch of drop bags, dropped it off. And I was like, okay, we're just going to go for it. Um, And ended up like shaving off uh, a few hours from my last hundred time and just having a phenomenal day. Um, And and it was, that was the rain. That was the year that we were referred to as like the rain year because it just started raining horrendously in the middle of the night. And I loved it. Like that just, it was just like, I just wanted a completely unique and different experience. And I wanted to prove to myself that, I could run a hundred, and then I could run a hundred by myself, like no pacers, no crew, nothing. That I could do this this activity in like a, a self sustaining way. And haven't done a hundred since. So, run rabbits. Actually, my first hundred back, and I'm in three years, and I'm very excited about it. Um, I, I respect uh, my favorite r- distances to run are the fifty k and the hundred miles, um, and I respect the hell out of the hundred miles. And I've been wanting, I've been waiting until I feel like I could legitimately show show myself and show that show my yeah show myself and my abilities in that distance again um with learning and training consistently over the years for that distance
1: what about those two distances appeals to you because they're on opposite sides of the spectrum <laughs> that's part and of it. i think if if you put like a uh man or woman running a 50k next to someone running a hundred miler an alien would be like they're doing two different activities.
2: Yeah. Um, and I think that's part of it. The allure is like the, the, they're, the deco- they're juxtapositions of each other um, within the ultra world because they're both considered ultras um, because they're both longer than a marathon, but the intensity changes. Um, obviously, like the 50K, you're kind of redlining the entire thing like a marathon, whereas the 100, it becomes very much more strategic um, in terms of pacing and everything. And to me, it, I like having the ability to... I've always kind of wanted to pursue... Uh, a more well-rounded running background and not just being pigeonholed into being only able to race 50 K's and shorter or only able to raise hundred K's and longer. Like I wanted to be able to bounce back and forth between all of these different distances and be a, be in contention. And I, I feel like those two distances kind of represent that to me. Like one is the, the beginning of ultra running at a high intensity. And the other is the strategic maturation of an athlete Um, at a lower intensity and like the 100 miles like there's just something really romantic about covering that much distance on your feet
1: yeah the aesthetic yeah like for whatever reason we're attracted to like big round numbers and 100 seems to be the right one yeah (laughs) which is funny because in like in europe you know they don't care there's like races that are like 119 kilometers (laughs) uh, and they're all over the place so i think it, it speaks to this kind of like american obsession uh that is pretty funny but so as someone who races a ton, that tells me that you have recovery dialed in and given that you are, you know, just removed from a big effort, um, on Saturday, what does recovery look like for you after hundred K?
2: Okay. Yeah. So, um, I, like, I was just talking to somebody else about this and recovery is arguably like one of the most important things that we, that we do and that we typically tend to not do properly as ultra runners, because there's this tendency to, um, much like at Thanksgiving dinner, want to pile everything on because we can, and because it's there. Um, and that usually ends up leading to a uh, stomach ache at Thanksgiving and then injuries and niggles and then burnout when it comes to running. Um, and like, like I said, in one year, I think I raced 11 ultras and I DNF from, I think four of them. Um, and that to me was like the year where I was like, okay, like, this is not sustainable. Um, and it, we have to focus on, I have to focus on recovering. because um, so that's also where the adaptation occurs um, and, and being able to actually like really utilize these events moving forward. So after hundred K, like I kind of play the rule of thumb for every 10 miles ran is a day off at a race, at a race thing. Um, that's kind of getting a little more fine tuned as I progress as an athlete, just because I'm able to adapt quicker. Um, like this week I'm taking five days off or, Six days. Yeah, it's still six days. So one day for every 10 miles ran. And then the first three days, I just eat whatever I want, like whatever I'm craving. Um, It's pizza, steak, it's sushi. And I don't ever think about like whether or not I'm eating too much. It's always like I could eat more and simply just like trying to force my body to consume as much As possible, just to kind of like replenish everything that was lost during the race. After about two to three days of just kind of like freer eating, I get back on a little bit more of not a restrictive eating pattern, but just like eating more whole food. So, like getting back into eating my vegetables every day, my morning smoothies, um, larger amounts of like just whole ingredients. So, like my kind of rule of thumb is the less ingredients in a product the better and so like i always tend to eat just things that have like one or two ingredients in them like oats it should just be oats fruit smoothies things like that um eggs tofu fish um i really focus on just eating whole ingredients um and making sure that the the quality of what i'm putting in matches the quantity um and then just resting uh Sometimes I do walks. If I'm able to do walks some days, if I'm feeling tired, I sleep. I just kind of let the body dictate what it wants. Um, around two days after a race, I'll start doing my mobility routine again. Um, I do the same mobility routine every morning and, I'll do that mobility routine one to three times a day just to kind of get the blood flowing and get everything moving and then sleeping like really prioritizing sleeping but then also like I I find that my like biggest focus when I come when it comes to recovery is spending time with the people that I care about um, and my friends and family just because th- this activity is fairly time consuming. And unless you, you have a group of friends that you can share that with um, or a family that you can share that with, that usually comes at the cost of not being the most social sometimes. And like, I really emphasize giving back to those relationships in my life as much as I can during this downtime, just because it makes me feel so much better mentally. Um, and there's nothing like just like sharing beers with friends two days after three days after a huge effort and, not even talking about the effort, but just talking about life. Um, and it's because it is just a good reminder that like, there's so much more outside of this, this sport. Um, to, and like, there's so much more to life than just the sport. And it, using that as a reminder of like, Oh, like, yeah, running is something that I do, but it's, it does not dictate my worth and it does not dictate like the things that bring me joy um, in my life. So I take a very much holistic approach to, to my recovery. I kind of like focus on what matters a lot to me, what I've put off, letting the body kind of dictate. And then I'll start back up six days after this with like 30 to 40 minute jogs on like a bike path, just flat and just easy.
1: Yeah. Just kind of ramp things back up. I think what, what you said earlier about identity fits in nicely here. Cause you're kind of just, you're able to like pull on different threads of your identity when you're not running after a big effort like this. And I think oftentimes people are, are too quick to move on from a race. And I I don't know if that is is the best way to go about things. I think you kind of have to like, really, even if the race didn't go your way, like acknowledge all the training leading up to the race, as well as its execution, and allow for that to settle mentally too, um, irrespective of your body. Um, so I, I think like, seeing how much energy you put into recovery and like, mindfulness around your efforts like shows how much you really value like the sport and you do treat it like art you don't treat it like like a hobby or anything like that um it it feels like it's watching you run feels like an expression of yourself which is really cool because i i don't i don't see that often in folks
2: well thank you yeah
1: (laughs) yeah i've been fortunate enough to to watch you run a few times and uh yeah i'm excited to get back out there with you
2: Dude, Hell yeah. Soon. But yeah, no, it's, it's true. I mean, yeah, it's just, there's so much more out there and this is just one expression that we've all chosen to, to gravitate towards. Um, And it's an expression that constantly humbles us. And I think that's also part of the allure of it. Like we're constantly put in our place from the bites that we chomp off, but we also have to be cognizant that we can't always bite too much off. Um, And, one of the easiest ways to bite too much off is to not recover properly from these efforts and to not give yourself the grace of recovering from these efforts because it is so taxing. Um, like that is one of the dichotomies the, the about racing is unlike FKTs or personal projects, you don't get to choose the day where you feel 100%. You could have the perfect buildup to a race and on the day of the race, you could feel terrible. You could feel flat but you still have to race you still have to show up and give it your all, or you could have a terrible build up to your race. Um, and then show up to the race and feel phenomenal. And so just the race kind of forces you to deal with whatever you're experiencing in that moment in a competitive environment. And it's a catalyst for that. And I think that's a beautiful part about racing is that it forces you to step beyond your comfort zone, whether or not you're ready to.
1: Yeah. I think that is a perfect way to end this conversation. Logan, thanks for sitting down and, uh, and chatting with me today. Let's get it together soon. Yeah. Yeah. Cool.
0: Well, that's it for this edition of Off the Couch. I want to say thanks to Logan and Matt for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everybody else Please keep moving forward, and we will talk to you again next week where we've got Jason Coop making his return to Off the Couch. We'll see you then.